nuts trying to get by. Hi out there, family. Thank you for joining me once again in this gathering space, in this community space, in this sacred space, as we do our work to unpack rhythm and resilience. And uh, I'm honored and excited that in today's episode of Rhythm and Resilience, we are going to be welcoming our very first guest, and it's none other than the Honorable Lucia Darty. Um, hailing from Asheville, North Carolina, um, in this moment and in this lifetime. Um, but this is somebody who I really respect and admire for um, just her graceful um, fire around what is just and what will keep things in balance and in right alignment in our ecosystem. And so I'm I'm super excited to bring on um, my friend, my colleague, sister, like so many things. Um, let's yeah. welcome on <laughs> and give thanks to Miss Lucia Darty. Hi, Lucia. Hi. Hi, Cortina. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for your very kind kind sentiment. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I know how humble you are. And if we don't give lift to folks in our community who will, right? Like we can't, we can't just wait. <laughs> we can't be waiting until people Absolutely. are gone to give them their flowers. Right. So, Absolutely. and that's what really this, exactly right. this space is about is to, yeah. to, to talk about, um, you know, ancient tradition in the sense of what were some of the ways of thinking culturally that were passed down to us as as Black, uh, as Indigenous, as um, people of color, Latinx, and you know all of our all of all of our people from around the diaspora, and like also looking at our radical magic imagination. And you know, you and I have this conversation so often around um, resilience <clears throat> and what that really means. And so I just want to I just want you to like take a moment to introduce yourself and then let's get right into it. And, you know, the first question to you being what evidence of resilience have you seen in your life? Absolutely. So I'm very happy to be here. Um, I uh, have been in this community since about 1998 and um, have been uh, working in the realm of community organizing and community building for a really long time. Um, which has been such a blessing to my life. Um, and so, yeah, definitely as pertains to resilience, um, I am a proud resilience educator, um, but I think that there are so many ways that we don't notice or give lift to the natural ways that we are all resilient, um, even the most marginalized within our community. So people on the margins who are often thought of as being resourceless, um, tend to be some of the most resilient people in our community. Mm -hmm. So I have a specific passion around giving lift to that and um, working with that segment of the population. Mm -hmm. Mm. So as we know, it's been a very intense week um, for 
people, not just in our community here in Asheville, but also around the country, around the globe. Um, we have witnessed uprisings and protests and, and marching and demonstrations, you know, and us as organizers, I know, especially you and I, we're in, in you know, community and in communication often around <clears throat> what's most needed uh, in our community. And, you know, one of the recent conversations that you and I were having was like, you know, how do we continue to make space and acknowledge our grief? Because all of us are experiencing yeah. grief. And, you know, yeah. I know for me, there's been this longstanding uh, relationship that I've had to have with grief because there was a time where like once a year, at least once a year, if not twice, there was somebody in my life that was transitioning to the ancestor realm and like passing yeah. on. Um, and I remember whenever my father passed in 2016, you know, one of the things that was really visceral for me about that was going through all these different stages of grief from like the guilt of like, you know, not feeling like we used our time wisely enough or that maybe, you know, um, there were things that I should have done differently and, you know, and then recognizing how little time you actually do have with folks is another thing too. Um, but you know, there's, there's the, the denial, denial, the guilt, the, you know, the anger, the sadness. And then at some point we come to a place of acceptance and exuberance and celebration, but we know that we don't get there first. Right. And yeah. And so I'm curious, you know, in, in some of your work and in some of how, you've been able to really come to this place of educating others about resilience and, and um, having that in your own life. Like how is, how is grief showing up for you right now? And, you know, could you, could you like share a little bit about what grief, what grief actually looks like? Like what's, what's, what is grief? How, why, and how have we lost our connection to be able to really explore what that is and in the black community particularly? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think that one thing that you noted a moment ago that's so important for us to remember and any, you know, mental health expert or anyone who does grief counseling, so on and so forth, any of those sorts of leaders in our community recognize the importance of grief, that how necessary it is. Um, not only is it a part of the package, right? So mm-hmm. in terms of living and then transitioning to the other side to as you stated so beautifully, um, join the ancestors, it is a necessary part of living, mm-hmm. dying is. And, 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 and the grief process is just as necessary. Um, as painful as it may be, it, it has to happen. Mm-hmm. And you're exactly right that it, it comes in waves and it goes in stages. I've had that experience like yourself um, and like everybody, um, the experience of losing someone and the impact that it has on the psyche and the spirit and the heart and, and sometimes, well, oftentimes the body. Um, so, so A, I wanted to state that how necessary grieving is. And, um, but I also think that collective grieving is just as necessary. So in community, we rarely engage in the act of collective grieving, but it's just as necessary um, as a crucial component of self-care and mental health on the community level. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that just uh, when we're talking about the recent events of um, when something like an atrocity or injustice happens, like the taking of black lives through police violence, 
um, occurs, the bottom line is that many of us are traumatized. Mm -hmm. But if you think about it, we skip the step of sitting with the grief that we feel um, before moving into social action. So that's not to say we should not move into social action. Say that. We should, you know, that's the necessary next step. However, um, just as we've learned that grief is painful but necessary a process within us as individuals and even within our families or on a familial level, mm-hmm. um, it's just as important that neighborhoods and communities and society as a whole um, hold space for collective grieving either immediately before or during our organizing experience. Yes. Um, so it should pr- proceed or accompany um, the act of organizing. Um, now, Ooh. one thing. Oh, I'm sorry. No, okay. please. I was just, girl, I'm over here fanning myself because I just broke out in a sweat with that truth. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. No, whatever you got to say, keep it keep it going. I can. I have some reflections, but I'm just going to keep sitting with them. Awesome. Thank you so much. And I'll, I'll be brief. No, no, no. Don't so, be. Um, don't be. Say what you got to say. <laughs> This is what I this is what I love about your podcast, Cortina, is you go with the flow. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. So the thing is that the in, inability to grieve ultimately has a negative impact on the psyche and the body. So the step of processing grief, even on a neighborhood or community-wide level, is important to overall community wellness. Um, I think that sometimes when we talk about these kind of things, we note them as being sort of fluffy or poetic. But this work around helping people process through trauma is absolutely necessary work. There's nothing fluffy about it. It is a part of what should be for community wellness. Mm. Um, But additionally, science has shown us that stress and trauma specifically knocks our nervous system out of whack, ultimately causing the brain to be less capable of processing information. So that whole like neurological understanding. So the brain science part of it says, Hello, we have the prefrontal cortex. When we experience trauma, guess what? Our nervous system is knocked out of whack, and then in turn, our brains kind of go offline. Mm. Um, so that's the neurology and the physiolo- physiological impact of trauma. But <clears throat> one specific thing that makes this whole conversation um, around trauma and grief so relevant uh, to the current event um, is thinking about what we all just witnessed, right? Mm. So. One thing we know is that the digital age has had, had, had its major benefits, so especially for the plight of social justice and community building. But our immediate access to social media and many other information platforms ultimately leaves us overexposed to some really traumatic things sometimes, right, mm-hmm. on the web. So mm-hmm. regularly our little brains are taking in images and information <sighs> real large doses in a short, short amount of time. Mm-hmm. And um, and George Floyd, the murder of George Floyd is a prime example of... Rest in power. Um, yeah, absolutely. And so what any of us who clicked play on the video that went viral and watched the video in its entirety witnessed the murder of George Floyd. Um, and we and now we'll give, we'll give a lot of... Um, validity to the PTSD that's derived from like combat, right? So combat related trauma, where people are having to kill each other and witness death uh, so open right in front of their faces. We can recognize the validity of that. But for some reason, sometimes when it comes to situations like what just occurred, we don't take it, always take it as seriously in terms of the care that's needed when we're traumatized by by viewing 
viewing something like that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so bottom line is our community needs more resources to address and process their trauma on a community-wide level. So we need more safe spaces to grieve these sorts of injustices together. Mm-hmm. I, I specifically, Cortina, think about our youth yeah. um, and how much they need this resource. And I think that we tend to think that they are like super desensitized, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So based on being born into the digital age mm-hmm. and being so overexposed, uh, too so much on a regular basis that they just kind of have checked out and they're they're cool they're coping through it right but that is so not not the case right no. so I feel like we have a call of duty as kind of the elders and I, you and I were laughing the other day because I told you that I represent Generation X and I know for a fact that we often like to forget that we're getting older <laughs> <laughs> we are, we, right we are elders right and we had that we had that whole conversation about anti-aging and how you know in our society where you named it so perfectly because it's like in our society the older generation is in a lot of ways competing with the younger generation to keep their spot and not wanting to really give yeah. their spot up and and with that is something so key that I think ties into what you're saying about collective grief and community because you know if the elders aren't wanting to age and we're all we're all in this anti-aging culture whether it's through a face cream or you know celebrities right. doing liposuck like whatever it is the thing is that we're right. trying to get rid of our wrinkles like there's this subconscious uh, energy with that that says to me there is no value and there is no honor in me getting old in our community or our right. society and without right. elders taking their rightful place in community there can't be that passing on of the wisdom of the teachings of the knowledge of the skills that's necessary to really cultivate youth into who they can be and who they can become. And we're so instead, especially, and I know this is especially true in the black community because, you know, in our community specifically, even though elders and today's youth, like today's middle high school, you know, college age students, like those who organize the marches or the March uh, and the, the vigil and some of the other protests in Asheville over this past week, like, and, and definitely big ups and shout out to that, to them. Um, and, and so, and there's this piece too, with like, even though there's just three, maybe two, three generations between them and their grandparents or even their great grandparents, it's like, we're speaking foreign languages to, to one another because the ideals and the spirituality and the values and the morals and the ethics, um, are just quite different between generations. And instead of really celebrating that and really appreciating the youth perspective and the elders being able to have their perspective and somehow we find a way to bridge that gap, that oftentimes it does become this kind of tug of war of like, you know, am I going to give up my power that I had to really fight to have to you and you don't feel or seem ready and I don't have the space or capacity for whatever reason, you know, we could also name capitalism and oppression as factors in why there isn't the time and space for elders to spend time with the youth. But, you know, so there's many, many layers to it. And so not only are we grieving about the passing and the loss of lives, but we're also grieving, I think, around this loss of, of culture, around this loss of, of intergenerational 
a tradition that was so core to what we see in around the around the diaspora and I know Absolutely. you know especially yeah. in in African rooted cultures you know there's there has in the past been this sense and me not being able to speak to it now but only being able to speak to to my knowledge but you know there's this sense that like everybody has a place in community and what I'm hearing you say about grief too is like grief has its place in community and like we need to acknowledge and lift that up and how often we leave that out of our process, but just recognizing that we are grieving all the time because as soon as something changes, you have to let that thing go. And with letting something go, there's going to be grief. So it's actually naturally a part of life. Right. Absolutely. And, and I think that something you named just a moment ago is so important to remember too, is that often like you just stated, we are grieving other things besides just the loss of physical life, mm-hmm. so the loss of of a life, you know, that was once contained in a physical body, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that it's also the loss often of our rights, you know, mm-hmm. there's so many losses mm-hmm. that we um, as humans, especially as black people um, and in brown, you know, people of color, largely, um, we experience that sort of loss and rarely get the opportunity to um, hold space for the grief process. And I think that one thing that's important to remember about us elders, I'm going to go ahead and claim it. (laughs) Yeah. I had to claim it earlier, girl. I claimed it earlier, girl. (laughs) Yes. And I'm going to say that the reality is that we have handed our youth this, like this world, Mm -hmm. we've handed them and prepaved this world and even this digital experience that Mm -hmm. I was talking about a moment ago. Mm -hmm. And so although we think that they may be desensitized, we've ultimately handed this um, experience to them. And so we should be the ones responsible for providing the necessary resources to ultimately help them, you know, preserve their mental and emotional health Mm -hmm. in the face of so much trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that as pertains to just elderhood in general, I think that you're absolutely right. We know that, you know, just, you know, even from ancient times, particularly across, you know, over in Africa, um, there, there have been, there's been this tribal approach to elderhood and, 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 uh, in the, the role that youth play within the tribe. And I think that, that throughout history, the black community specifically has, we've created our own traditions once we got to America and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, post-slavery, mm-hmm. well, even during slavery as a coping mechanism and as a way to survive and help to keep each other shielded as much as we could and uh, and keep ourselves alive and keep each other alive. Mm-hmm. But then post-slavery, even, the Black community has some, has created and sustained some very beautiful and rich traditions uh, within our families and communities. Uh, that I think we can get back to. Like, mm-hmm. I really do believe that it, it, it requires, A, that, that us elders, you know, um, center youth voices, mm-hmm. you know, give lift to them, and also um, recognize their expertise that does exist. I think that you and I have had these conversations about, like, mm-hmm. chronological age and all mm-hmm. that stuff mm-hmm. and time and mm-hmm. all that. So we have this idea about wisdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's rooted in how long you've lived, mm-hmm. but I think that there's a lot of wisdom that exists, you know, within youth, and some expertise that they have, some some that they've obtained through just living 
their lives over the years that they've been on the planet. And then some of that comes from, you know, their own core. Mm -hmm. So their own heart, heart space, right? Yes. In addition to that, Mm -hmm. elders, you know, the youth have to recognize that there is so much value in the knowledge and the life experience that elders bring to the table that if we really were to come together, A, the way we used to and B, the way we need to, I think that we would find a um, a really richly uh, impactful experience, not only on our, our, our families and our community, but uh, in the plight of social justice. Mm-hmm. Yes. I say. And, you know, I really love what you what you wove in around like what we used to do and what we need to do, because there's kind of like this ancient future um, intersection that I think we both work at um, or work within and being really closely tied to our ancestors um, and even elders and and also being very accessed by youth and like working very closely with youth and community. And, you know, it makes me think about this whole like notion of, of gatekeeping. And I know we probably could spend a whole other conversation talking about and unpacking gatekeeping (laughs) um, in community, but I do want to give lift to um, a book that really helped to reframe my mind around even how I'm showing up as an organizer, but especially an organizer that comes from, um, you know, I'm a descendant of of, of African uh, peoples and of indigenous Cherokee right. peoples. And so, you know, part of my lineage and part of my quest to really reconnect with my culture and identity has largely been, you know, studying, you know, these traditions that we don't really get access to in mainstream uh, media or even public school. And a lot of right. that for me, you know, that was a, that's a, that's an individual quest, but it's also a collective prayer to like know ourselves. And for me, I think that, you know, as we're talking about grief and as we're talking about the loss of life or loss of any kind, that it really feels like the way that capitalism and oppression, you know, and um, even so did I say white supremacy? I don't think I said that, but you know, I think that that you the didn't. Way, I didn't, I didn't, but I, but now I did. <laughs> I both, I just did. And you know, because that's the culture that the U S was founded upon. And I think the way that those, those systems are able to persist and why they've, they've, you know, really had such a stronghold in our country is because a lot of, a lot of it starts in our mind and also it, it right. from our mind to our, to our, so from our thoughts, to our actions, to our beliefs and our, and our practices as community. And a lot of times, especially in our racial equity work, I know you and I have had this conversation of like the personal, not only is political, but the personal affects like the individual affects the collective. Like it is a symbiotic ecosystem. So don't think that what you're doing or not doing on an individual level is not going to be felt by the collective. Like we have this perception and this illusion of disconnection, but at the end of the day, I mean, the mycelium and and the trees um, that wrap around the planet are evidence of how connected we are. They literally are connected at the roots. And so like, as human beings that are dwelling on this planet, how could we be moving around thinking that we're not connected, you know? And so for me, it's like, 
we do really need to to do our research and to do our homework and to really connect with some ancient practices, as you named, that are going to come full circle and can really be serving us now in these times as we become become more cooperative, I believe, is what what's coming next. You know, like we're already moving there in a lot of ways. Um, and yeah. I really also think that the education starts with us just taking interest and being curious about other ways of thinking besides what's just been handed to us. Because let's be real, if we've all been cultivated in this white supremacist culture, then how could we think yeah. that we're not still going to have some of that ingested, internalized oppression or racism inside right. of us? And could that actually be the thing that's causing the competition between generations when we work and build together? We can liberate ourselves from even have, having to be part of the system at all, you know? And, that's exactly right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Mm. Absolutely. I think that I think that you're exactly right. I think that you know we we I think that it's not an accident that we have been conditioned to forget or uh, not even be become aware of the fact that we are so connected. Because that's where our power lies, really. You know, so the same energy that's in the tree is the same energy that's in me, that's in, in the, you know, earth, that's in the sky, that's in, you know, our babies, that's in, you know, just all sorts of things, the food that we grow. I think it's all one energy. Mm -hmm. And I think that there is so much power found in that fact. And one, and one uh, piece of evidence around that to, is the fact that, Part of our resilience can be found in how we mirror each other, mm -hmm. right? So we are the evidence when we see each other. We are the evidence of the seeds that we planted through our visioning and our dreaming and our planning, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and that's part of our overall re resilience. That's how I witness resilience on a regular basis is through my relationship to other humans. But I also think that that is sort of our... Um, our currency. <laughs> I think that that's part of our leverage um, and power ultimately mm. is when we can recognize um, that we are so interconnected, then we can defy uh, what white supremacists, both white supremacists and uh, white supremacy and uh, capitalistic culture has taught us, right? Mm -hmm. and conditioned us mm -hmm. around. So, yeah. yeah. And I recognize that I didn't uh, name the book, but what you just said made me uh, remember that. And a lot of it is like what gets brought up there. But Sabanfu Somme, um, who actually has done yeah. uh, done some work in, right here in our community in Asheville, um, also rest in power to Sabanfu, who is now an ancestor. Uh, but the book is called The Spirit of, of Intimacy, The Ancient Ways of uh, Relationships, uh, Ancient Tradition, a Ancient African Traditions in the Way of Relationships. <laughs> and so Beautiful. it's uh, Beautiful. about a hundred page book. Like I read it in one setting, first of all, because I couldn't put, couldn't put <laughs> it down. But a lot of what right. you're naming around the relationships with community and what we've talked about, about the intergenerational relationship, you know, we it's it's all right there. It's all in plain, plain sight that this is part of, right. you know, this, this the village and the tribe that you were speaking of. So it's not new, but we're at a place now where we have an opportunity to remember, it feels like. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's right. 
So, girl, I know we could we we still got a whole other piece to talk about. And I really want to get to um, some of what your thoughts are um, regarding, you know, your 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 rhythms for your life and um, and then have you send us off with an affirmation. So let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and, and hear hear more from Lucia Darty. Thank you all for tuning in and hanging out with us. Um, if you don't already know, this is Rhythm and Resilience. I'm your host, Cortina. Sit tight, don't go far, and we'll be right back with the second half of our conversation. So we're back with Lucia Darty. We've been having a conversation about collective grief um, in community. We've talked about, you know, this notion of intergenerationality between youth and elders and specifically looking at that, um, you know, from the lens, from, from a Black lens and from the lens of the diaspora. And, you know, one of the things that you said so beautifully earlier on um, as you were speaking about resilience, Lucia, is that there is this this sense, um, and maybe you said this without explicitly saying it, but kind of how I heard as you were initially talking was like, resilience is only seen and understood and felt when you can pass it along to another. Like, it feels like resilience yeah. is that kind of invisible essence or invisible energy that you don't know you have unless until you are in act of passing it along to somebody else and you realize that it like, is something worth catching. Like it's something that can, can take root and to, to be cultivated. It's kind of like sowing seeds in a lot of ways is what it makes me think about. So that's kind of how I heard. And I'm curious if you can share, you know, what rhythms um, have kept your life flowing in balance or do keep your life flowing in balance and, you know, just maybe expand on anything else that you want to share around resilience. Cause what you have shared already has been so profound and brilliant. And that's why I love talking to you. Yes. It's been a long time coming, sister. But yeah. We finally made it to, to the table a few times. Yes. Over, so yes, yes, great. yes. Indeed. And we'll make yes. room for others at the table because we're building our own tables. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. That's right. Dismantling the ones that we were given and, and building our own. Hello. <laughs> and please believe we're gonna we're gonna ask the tree first before we build the table. We're gonna ask the tree if we can That's take right. the wood. <laughs> right. You know, have exactly a ceremony, right. you know, we gotta yeah. keep it real. Give, give thanks for their sacrifice. Yes. Sacrifice, Hello. Right? <laughs> so maybe like the relationship with nature has been one of the things because I know like you know, just, you know, from our conversations, how closely tied you are with nature and, you know, your, the, the, the amazing, um, you know, reparation, I feel in a lot of ways of, you know, you being able to really root your family on, on land. And, you know, so I'm curious, I am curious about that. Like, you know, if nature has played any part in like keeping your life flowing in balance and, um, yeah, if there's anything else that you would say to that. Yeah, so well, I definitely think that nature is a large part of what helps to keep my life flowing in balance. Um, as you just mentioned, I um, 
am a, a farm owner, <laughs> so I'm immersed in nature on, on a regular basis, but it wasn't always, that wasn't always the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that uh, it has lent greatly to my ability to um, reset and to heal Mm-hmm. from my own personal traumas. Um, and we may have to have that whole live conversation mm-hmm. on another <laughs> episode or another combo. Yeah. Right? But, but absolutely, nature has um, not only helped, helped me achieve a connection um, with spirit, uh, but it has helped me to achieve a better connection with myself. Um, I love growing food, which is, one of the most obvious ways that nature serves um, to in in our wellness, right? So that's definitely one of them. Another thing that helps um, to keep um, my, my life flowing in balance is um, creative expression. Mm-hmm. So one thing that you and I have in common is we are both artists, mm-hmm. and so um, being able to create is uh, artistically is really really important to me achieving balance because so much of my work that's rooted in my career is really uh, about, you know, processing, thinking, planning, being strategic, you know, meetings and all sorts of um, organizing ventures. So I need that sort of respite. I need the release of um, through artistic expression Mm -hmm. or creative expression. So that Mm -hmm. helps to keep my lifelong in balance. But I would say too, um, there are two other things that come to mind immediately. One is um, divine timing and freedom of choice. Mm. So uh, for me, um, giving myself permission to determine my own pace for operating in daily life. So in my work or in my interpersonal relationships or communications with other people, um, and even in the manner in which I respond to the challenges of life, for me, uh, it's important that I have the freedom of choice around you know, my own timing and pacing, right? So one thing that I believe firmly is that humans are freedom-seeking beings. So Mm -hmm. it's important to our brains, our body, and our heart that we have autonomy in this life experience and have freedom in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, I also firmly believe in divine timing. And that's another thing that you and I have in, uh, in common. I can't count the number of times that we've been like, oh, no, we were going to have this call at this time. And we're like, girl, just let spirit guide. Like we, you know, divine timing is everything. Yeah. We have to give ourselves permission to lean into that. I think, mm-hmm. um, lastly, I think hope is hope is a very big, uh, part of me flowing in balance each day. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. And what I mean by that, you know, hope generally for me is rooted in, my ability to understand that thoughts become things that on a vibrational level, um, I create much. So when we were talking earlier about resilience, that sort of unnoted resilience within our community, you know, and I was talking about low income people specifically, um, how creative they get in their brainstorming and troubleshooting as a means to survive. Yes. Um, they have to start with hope in order to even be able to do that. So it may seem on the surface and sometimes even to them themselves that they are just on autopilot. They're just running, running, running and, you know, struggling to get from point A to point B, right? Mm-hmm. Every day in survival mode, but really if they didn't have hope within themselves and really 
trust in themselves to be able to survive, then they wouldn't be surviving. And that's Mm -hmm. where we see through that hope, we watch the resilience bubble up to the surface. And Mm -hmm. what happens is as a society, right, the powers that be don't necessarily put the spotlight on that because as we noted earlier, it's not really encouraged that we recognize our brilliance and our power Mm -hmm. because that's one of the tools to help keep us oppressed. Mm -hmm. However, that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. And hope is where it starts, Mm -hmm. right? So Mm -hmm. on a vibrational level, we have vibrational currency. We have Mm -hmm. in our little, you know, account, if you will, you know, we have vibrational currency stored up. How do I know that? Because we we dream and vision on a regular basis, even mm-hmm. if we lack something like monetary resources, you know we are we we are constantly birthing ideas. Uh, you don't have to be you know have some big startup uh, little startup business or be you know uh, a great YouTube sensation to have birthed some really beautiful and brilliant things. All you have to do is. Um, is 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 birth is think about them mm-hmm. and imagine them right mm-hmm. so for me that's where my hope is found I mean uh, um, is in the um, co-creation with spirit mm-hmm. that us humans are actually so good at even if we don't know that yeah and it is yeah. so real and I love the part that you brought in around you know people being creative and not recognizing it because it's not celebrated in our society and it's not necessarily called that you know it's like when you're on the bottom trying to survive in a system that was intentionally designed for you to stay where you're at class-wise and and in your quote-unquote rightful place um as as a black person you know, you're absolutely right that hope comes first. Like I, I, and I appreciate that flip and that reframe because, you know, even as like hopeful and positive as I've had to be, to be in my life to like overcome some things from, from childhood. And, you know, like we all have our traumas in various ways and we all have the ways in which racism has impacted our lives and there's no escaping that for any of us. Right. So for, for for me, it, it it was an immediate reframe when you just said that, because I was like, Oh wow. Like I had to have had hope the whole time that I could, could, that there could be a different outcome for my life and that, you know, through the, like, and you, you just named something else really important too, is like through the power of choice coupled with my hope made way for my resilience for me to yes. like really move through. I needed to see something beyond my current reality, even though I couldn't like physically touch it, I could smell it, I could taste it and I kept moving toward it. Yes. And that's what you're saying too, is like, and I know we've had these conversations about you manifesting your land. It's like, it wasn't physically, you couldn't touch it, but you could feel right. like you could taste it, you could smell it. It came to you in your sleep, you know, like however it Kate needed to come in. And that's the co-creation yeah. that you're talking about that doesn't often get lifted up because, you know, a lot of times when we're talking about creativity in our society, we're only talking about the people that are doing art, quote unquote, uh, with a capital A as a profession, you know, but I think that that's too one of the things with, with our day project or artist designing evolution is like hinged on this whole notion that we can shift anti, we can shift oppression by being culturally liberated and we can yes. sh- we can shift you know capitalism by being co- like being cooperatively connected to one another and really working from our strengths and recognizing that yes. one of our greatest strengths 
And one of our greatest birthrights is our creativity. That doesn't cost us anything. And we, we have all have it. Um, but how yeah. often does that get suppressed and squandered, especially in us as people of color, because we're just trying so hard to survive that we can't move to our thrival and nor should we ever try to to get creative or, or visualize. But we're seeing, too, that that's right. even shifting because a lot of right. us are in gig culture, you know, as you named of like yeah. having your own thing that you're doing just for you in addition to what breaks uh, what puts food on the table, you know, so. It, right. It's really, tr- exactly. it rings so true for me. And I really appreciate that reshift because yeah, hope is not the thing that we end with. It's the thing that we begin with. And that's, that feels like a really um, brilliant way to like really understand how we're cultivating resilience in our communities and within ourselves. Exactly. And I think that that's absolutely one of the things that if we as marginalized populations, and you know where the intersections are found. So whether you're talking about you know, being people of color, being low income or being both, so on and so forth. I mean, there's so much, you know, intersection that occurs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's important to remember that 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 is where our literal power lies. One thing that I think is important for me to mention about my own journey and my family's journey um, to this land is that we're not special. I mean, we're special, but we're not special, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. We're no different. We're, we're, you know, we didn't have a lot of capital. We didn't have a lot of savings. You know, I didn't have a great credit score and all that at the time. Like, just all these things and 10 years worth of savings. There wasn't a lot of, like, like tangible resources that we could identify besides our passion about owning land and growing our own food and getting out of the situation that we were, or the living situation that we were in. Mm -hmm. And so really we had to tap into our own vibrational currency. So we had to do things like sit down as a family and say, when we're going to, when we get the farm, we're going to do this. When we get the farm, we're going to do that. We didn't even have any prospects around obtaining said farm. Mm -hmm. It was just sort of dreaming and visioning and, sort of naming it and claiming it. Mm-hmm. So you speak, trying to speak this thing into existence. Mm-hmm. And then we went on to do things like visualize. And this is even including the baby. So my three daughters were involved in the process of speaking this, speaking this thing out and putting it out into the universe. And then also uh, we would do the activities like create vision boards and, you know, fast forward. And in less than a year, uh, within the home buying process. So not to say that it all happened totally within a year, but the actual, when we reached the home buying process, it was less than a year uh, that we were able to obtain this property. And even before closing on this house, when we first came to see it, uh, now mind you, we were living in an apartment at the time. So mm-hmm. we didn't even have a, a, a house. We had an apartment. When we came to see it, I remember... Uh, standing on the deck and looking up at the sky and you know we talked about having our own stars like we want these stars right so Mm -hmm. we were looking up the sky claiming these stars Mm -hmm. fast forward on December 25th 2015 we closed on this property so Mm. it's not about us having some, some advantage that's rooted in you know merit which is how our you know uh capitalism sort of is rooted in this idea of merit, Mm. right? Which is really, really a falsehood. It's such an illusion, Mm -hmm. right? That whole merit system 
within our society that mm-hmm. falls under the umbrella of capitalism. But, you know, it wasn't so much about merit as it was about determination and hope and, and, and our trust in our ability to co-create with spirit and visualize and then see realized mm-hmm. the things that we wanted for our, for our lives. And I think that that's our greatest power, no matter what walk of life you come from. And I particularly am passionate about, about black people and brown people uh, knowing the power that they have, that we have in that way. We have the ability to create worlds mm-hmm. if we just uh, believe that we can. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yes, absolutely. That's so powerful and so, so right on. And that's the thing that I always love about you is like you just having that that pulse and being able to see into the beyond, you know, because yes. that really had to have been uh, such a, a, a unique process to what society told you, you know, it required to get the things that you felt you deserved. Right. And like, we have to go this long process of like really for lack of better word, like being slaves to the system, you know? And, and so part of the liberation in that is from what I'm hearing of what you shared is like really putting our, our faith in ourselves and really cultivating however we can our sense of hope, and and really enacting and choosing to respond with our creativity and getting getting creative about how we cultivate in our lives what we want to see and that's just such Absolutely. such an important thing i think too right now with everything that's going on with the protests and um you know rest in power to george floyd um and recognizing that we've been yeah. we've been mourning the loss of black bodies on US soil for 400 years uh and so we have a moment we we should take a moment to recognize that this is not a new issue in regards to not at all. the 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 loss of black lives to the the diminishing and uh the suppressing of a people um, and that's not only true for, for, of course, the black community, it's true of the indigenous communities who we still don't know the, the full untold story of. And, you know, hopefully there will be yeah. more stories that get to come to and bubble to the surface, um, around the, the cultural history that a lot of us haven't grown up with. And, and I say all that to, to recognize and appreciate that it feels like, you know, history is, is, and the future is living in every single moment. Like that's kind of how I felt talking, yeah. talking to you is like at every moment we're in, a, we're, we're mingling with the past and the future. And so, you know, it's important that we have intention about how we move, but it's also our responsibility to really pay attention to what's needed to, to heal and to move forward and, um, you know, grief and hope. Are, and you know, and, and that making way for yeah. resilience, and I just appreciate yes. all of what you what you had to say and what you shared about that powerful stuff. Can, can I mention one thing, yeah. Cortina? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's important, um, and, and I know we're keeping our eye on time, but I think that it's, it's important for us to remember that holding space for both grief and hope 
is a form of social activism. Mm -hmm. I think that, again, we tend to put, you know, categorize things and put um, the holding of space for both of those uh, processes uh, in the category of fluffy or philosophical or esoteric. But I think that that's not at all the case. I think that there are those of us who um, are self-identified and often recognized as uh, by community mem- other community members, recognized as healers and light workers. Um, and I think that our role is very necessary in helping um, our fellow activists. Mm-hmm. I think that when it comes to self-care, you can't talk about it only in terms of um, massages and you know spa days. We have to recognize and know that uh, it's important that, you know, holding space for hope and grief to, um, you know, for us to process through both of those things is an important role that healers and lightworkers can play um, as activists Mm -hmm. and with, on behalf of, and and for fellow activists, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and, and that's just that sort of idea that there's this machine of progress, headed toward progress, right? Mm-hmm. And that we all are different parts of this of this whole. And uh, healers uh, in activism are very a very necessary component. And so I think we have to give ourselves permission to stand in that. And so I uh, I know that you're working on some um, beautiful movement around that, as am I. And um, I'm hoping that we can continue to collaborate mm-hmm. um, toward the same end. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And yeah. I love, yeah, I love what you what you just named there. And I think it is so important to give lift to in this way um, to wider community because it is a conversation that we need to have. And I think along with that conversation. Um, you know, I think for me uh, in arriving at this place of <clears throat> recognizing that healing needs room, needs space and activism, you know, is like the the reality of our racialized trauma that lives in our bodies that we're walking around with all the time. And then also how yeah. the reality of racism is that we're always in fight or flight mode and what being in constant yeah. stress does to the body, to the mind, to the spirit. Um, And then I also think about like, you know, this, this whole conversation that we've had of how we're really cultivating and building toward resilience. And I think that just like with any other profession, you know, because for those of us that are doing organizing work, this is not just uh, something that we're punching the clock on. A lot of us are staying up till 12, 1, 2, 3 in the morning until the job is done, you know? And yeah. so, and so the self-care and, uh, and the rest is, is imperative because we've lost too many people that have martyred themselves for the movement and in their yeah. legacy, in their legacy, we recognize how important it is for us to not only take care of ourselves, but to really cultivate a different narrative around wellness and healing um, and, and self-love with that, too, especially as communities of color. And like that yeah. feels just as much part of the conversation around, you know, um, around healing being part of this is like there's the there's the healing and the unlearning of old narratives you know, that we have to hold space for just as, as we've named and you've talked about. And then also That's how right. we're, we're holding space for our visions in the future ahead with that, with that healing work too. 
And so it's at a very interesting place, especially because we've been so reliant on uh, the healthcare system to meet our needs. Yeah. And a lot of people are doing a lot of, of their own sort of alternative, you know, healing modalities. And maybe we'll have a whole conversation about that at some point. But, you know, I just want to yeah. give lift to to everything that you have shared. It's been really, really powerful to, to weave these threads together with you from, from what's ancient to what's possible for the future. Um, and I know that Indeed. we ha- we have some work on the horizon together. Um, I also want to give lift to all the other um, black black healers, our, our brujas out there. You know the people that are really yeah. doing doing the work to get the knowledge and the truth around healing and wellness and well being to the people. And hopefully, we can can all continue to build together and just share what we know. Um, and get well and, and live happily and like really shift into, you know, more of our pleasure activism kind of type work, but you know, it's a step at a time. And I think what, as you've named, it starts with us realizing our uh, need for collect collective grief and really making sure we have our vibrational currency up. Like we, we don't want to be out here dealing with negative balances. So we need to be doing our healing work. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well said and I say. Yeah. <laughs> so yes. as we close, Lucia, uh, if there's anything that you want to share um, about fo- how folks can find you, get in contact with you. Mm-hmm. And then I want to also ask you to uh, leave us with an affirmation uh, for the people who are gathered here with us, um, seen or unseen. And uh, yeah, and just once again, for the folks that are tuning in, um, there will be a lot more uh, details coming out about the work that Lu- Lucy and I will be embarking on together. And, you know, again, that invitation is there. Uh, I know you all can find out more about that work on the Ade Projects uh, website, which is just the Ade Project, A-D-E, project.org, um, and also open invitation for a community that are tuning in and in town uh, or not in town because we're doing it online. Um, but June 10th through the 12th, uh, we'll be hosting a Meet a We Youth Leadership Summit. Um, and our theme this this summer is uh, resistance, resilience, and reimagination. And uh, I, and we're excited to host uh, a community grief circle there with Lucia and to continue doing this work with youth and really building this intergenerational work up strong. So I want to give thanks yeah. for that. Um, and yeah, y'all stay tuned. Um, follow us on any platform to find out what we're up to. And I want to kick it over to Lucia for your for your affirmation for us as we go into our week, our day, wherever we're at in our worlds. Um, and then yeah. if there's anything you want to share about how folks can get in contact with you. Yes. Absolutely. So thank you, Cortina, so much for this time and for holding space. Um, it has been beyond a pleasure to um, convene with you. and Love you so you much. Co-create with you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, much love. I think that was, yeah, thank you. So in terms of um, ways to, to get in touch with me, I actually have a couple of projects that are um, in their, uh, the phase of being built. And so in terms of a platform to access me through or around my work, um, that uh, is soon coming, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, 
in terms of direct contact with me, I would just um, encourage folks to email me. It's uh, ldoherty.consult at gmail.com. That's the best email and the way that it's spelled, L-D-A-U-G-H-E-R-T-Y dot consult, as in consultation, at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Um, because I do a lot of work um, uh including consultation work. And so I use that email very generally for all sorts of um, ventures in that regard. Um, If you all have any questions about the work that I'm involved in, Uh, but definitely I'll keep Cortina posted about, um, you know, some of the things that I'm working on. And of course we'll be collaborating as she mentioned um, earlier. Mm -hmm. Now time for the affirmation. (laughs) Yes. Uh, So, before we, before I even state this, what I'd like to do, because I feel like when we um, state affirmations, you know, uh, aloud, you know, we are setting intention. So it's really important to me that we um, are as present with this process as possible, uh, with full knowing that uh, we are in co-creation mode anytime we affirm especially verbally, because that sort of solidifies it. Um, And so I want to invite everyone to, and Cortina, you as well, um, and me, to take a deep breath in for a moment. Let's just exhale, reset our nervous systems, because we have processed a lot in this, this time together. And I'm going to state this affirmation, um, and ask that you all um, listen and and stand in in agreement. I am beautifully and perfectly designed to navigate this life experience. My life matters. My being matters. My mind matters. My spirit matters. And my voice matters. I am hope and resilience personified. Ashe. 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 And may it be so. And mote it be. Thank you, Lucia. Blessings Thank to you. you on the journey ahead. Much more to come. Thank you for all that you do for community. And we'll see you back in the online gathering space soon. Thank you for tuning in. This has been another episode of Rhythm and Resilience. If you haven't already, be sure to like, subscribe, or add. And we always, always encourage you to share and invite new people into our gathering space here to discuss ancient traditions and radical imaginations for the future. We'll see y'all next time. Peace. Peace.